Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 273. Today is Sunday the 15th of April 2018 and this interview is with Neil Schaefer. Neil's an author of multiple books and one of the more well-known thought leaders in marketing, especially in social media marketing. In this conversation with Neil, we discuss what it takes to build up trust, how to work with influencers, as well as the discovery of an interesting platform for publishing your book, a lot of juicy insights. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Neil Schaefer, thanks for coming on the show. I've been following what you're up to, and uh, we're kind of seasons, seasoned veterans uh, in this lovely world, uh, and seas apart. You're over in a beautiful California while I'm slumming it in London. Um, and so I wanted to, so let, let's just have you introduce yourself. Obviously, you're an author, you're a top influencer, you are a man about town in all things social. How would you describe yourself? Uh, I am a social media professional. I've worked in the industry that we call social media since 2009, really starting out as a, as a blogger, an author, a speaker, and a consultant to many businesses across a lot of different projects. So uh, yeah, uh, I help businesses. I, I'm sort of a translator. Um, social is still uh, not completely understood, uh, or even companies who think they understand really miss out on uh, a lot of potential advantages of, of leveraging across the enterprise. So I help businesses translate the potential in, into the actual, really, uh, for lack of a better word. Sorry, let's, let's start there. Uh, how, how would you describe the trans, transition we've made since 2009 to, to where we are today? I mean, let's frame it this way. Mobile's been around. Social's been around. I used to be very good at it. But are the rules that applied back in 2009 still valid and which ones are and which ones aren't? Wow, that's, uh, I mean, we, we've progressed, right? And the, the technology has progressed, the functionality being provided by these social networks has progressed. How many people use these social networks, how often they use it, and the trust, and we can you know, debate about that trust. As you know, my wife for the first time bought something off an Instagram ad last night, uh, whereas I was talking with my father's accountant who's in his 80s saying, would anyone ever buy anything from social media? So, you know, as a society, we have progressed and we have digital natives, there are demographic shifts of, you know, major populations now that were born, um, obviously with, with digital and these people that grew up, you know, using social media as part of what they do. So it, it's become sort of uh, entrenched in our society. And therefore, just because of the fact that more people use it more often and, and uh, whether we like it or not, we have built more trust and we'll see what happens with what's going on with Facebook right now. Um, there's tremendous opportunities and, and we spend more time in it, meaning that, you know, I, I like to paint the picture because we are of an age that remembers life when there were only a few newspapers uh, a few TV stations and everything we saw in the media, we could quote unquote trust. Although there are always alternative perspectives we never heard about. Now we have to have more of an analog mind uh, in a digital world because we're being bombarded with content on all of these different social media platforms. So it leads to potential issues that happen with the democratization of information. It's sort of like, I don't know if you've ever read the rise and fall of the great powers. Of course. When you, 
Right. When you have the U.S. and USSR, everything is black and white and clear. When it starts falling apart into you have China, you have you know different players in Europe, what have you, uh, it gets a little bit messy, right? It gets a little bit out of control. And that's sort of where we are now until I believe government regulation is, is going to sort of clean that up. But I don't think, you know, of, of Facebook's billion users, I don't think 500 million of them have suddenly canceled their account over the last 72 hours. Um, I think 99% of those people are still there. And, you know, my generation and your generation as well, hopefully realize that whatever you put up on the Internet, um, you know, it, it's there forever and, and we're all being tracked. Right. Mm. Uh, and that's just a part of life. And, you know, I, I use Gmail and they serve me ads, but there's a convenience for me in using Gmail because it's the best email app. So I will take that. And Facebook as well. It's a service. They need to make money. Right. There's a reality here. Sure. So so I am totally OK with that. It doesn't change the way that I operate. Um, and if people are surprised by that, they probably just lack the, that general understanding of, of how social networks work in the first place. Mm. Um, and it's really funny, and I'm sure you've had a lot for too, watching these congressional hearings and these questions being asked by these Congress mm-hmm. uh, people at, at, at Zuckerberg, him trying to explain the internet, basically. Uh, but it, it is a reality. It is where we consume a lot of information. An overwhelming majority of Americans get some sort of news from social media, whether it's fake or not, is up for debate. Um, and it's not just America because I talk globally and the, this is not an America only trend. This is a global trend. The names of the networks might be a little bit different according to the country. In Germany, you got Zing and China, WeChat mm-hmm. and Japan, Line, what have you. But it, it definitely is global. And there's a lot of good that's come from social media that, I mean, we've been able to meet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've, I've generated a lot of business and made friends, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. I've gotten first row seats to my, fa- my favorite Japanese musician uh, from people awesome. I never met before just by commenting on each other's photos on Instagram. So mm-hmm. it, it, there's a tremendous amount of good that comes from this as well. So I think whenever there's something that happens in the world, like what we're seeing with Facebook, there's overreactions uh, in the blogosphere. There's overreactions by marketers. Um, there's, there's even an overreaction by the government. Um, but I, I guess that's necessary in order to uh, to infuse some regulation. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, it matures the industry, but it's still an important part of, of who we are and how we communicate. And therefore, businesses have to realize that. And uh, if you ignore social media, you just ignore uh, where a lot of people's attention is being spent right now. And you and you miss out on those opportunities. So that's my that's my spiel. Got it. Well, so naturally we've evolved we're getting more you know everybody's sort of used to it even grandparents have heard the word you don't have to sell them you know what is facebook.com they know it uh whereas there might have been more naivete when we began using it you say we're bringing back the analog at some level our anecdote um someone said to me the other day i'm still i'm i still have an account on facebook i can't seem to live without an account, but I don't use it. Uh, right. Basically, so what I'm thinking is that there, there is a usage factor. Of course, there's a trust factor. And while they may not have all un, you know, unsubscribed, the usages have evolved. And how would you describe that? I mean, are we, getting, are we finally getting a little bit more smart about our usages? And then what does that mean for how we should be approaching it as a business? Yeah, um, you know, it was recently, I think a month or two ago, the first time that Facebook usage basically maxed out, at least here in the United States. Um, And at some point you hit saturation. At some point, audiences get a little bit more savvier as to how they use it, what they want to expect from and what have you. And people move on to other social networks as well. So I think the social network and that the people that you know don't log into Facebook anymore might be logging into other social networks. I don't know, right? 
Mm-hmm. But it's definitely there's also a, a, a generational aspect where obviously we have younger generations that are spending more time there. And as those generations get older, it really is more an ingrained part of their life than it is of ours. So um, not to say that you can't, uh, you know, I, I don't want to use the word target, but promote your your brand to older generations. Uh, but obviously the younger generation, the younger the generation, I believe the more effective that's going to be. Uh, and, and I think that, um, you know, companies can't see uh, social media as the, the end all. I was talking to a, uh, a consultant actually from Vienna yesterday who was saying, you know, well, how, how do I get business from LinkedIn? I'm like, well, how, how would you get business without LinkedIn? Um, because if you don't have a solid product, a, a solid brand, a solid way of marketing, LinkedIn alone doesn't help you do anything. So I've always said that social media replaces nothing yet complements everything. And that, that will continue to be the case. How much it complements is, is going to be different. But um, companies, I believe today, and, and obviously I'm writing a book on influencer marketing, and we've seen the way that algorithms will favor people over businesses. And for businesses, it becomes very much pay to play. So it becomes very much part of this traditional paid media approach. But with social media, the whole idea of this viral spread of information is only going to happen primarily from people. Could happen from celebrities, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's for people, and it's really leveraging, you know, for lack of a better word, people power that I think companies should be investing more in. Uh, and that really comes down to influencer marketing of having other people promote you. Um, it's going to be the most, you know, authentic way of helping spread the word about your brand, and um, the most engaging way, and just, you know, the most authentic to social media, where it was originally made for people, not for businesses, and, and businesses need to realize that. And figure out a different way of, of leveraging the people around them, their you know their employees with employee advocacy, their fans, their customers, uh, and influencers that are part of the community that they want to influence. Uh, and and I think that's where and it's a different type of marketing. You know, organic social media you sort of had to let go. And wow, what are people? You know, what happens if someone says something bad about my tweet? And I think we're beyond that. But now it's like, well, what happens if people say bad things about our brand ambassador? It, it, it's going to get a little bit different in terms of. Uh, what what brands can expect and and how they operate, but I think that um, you know social media becomes traditional paid media unless you use one of these more innovative approaches where you begin to uh, create relationships with people in the ecosystem and and you leverage them um, you know as influencers as brand ambassadors as as you know employee ambassadors what have you. So when you work with your companies, Scott, I know you 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 speak a lot around the world and you work with big companies. What's your your line or your, you know, your pitch with regard to the C-suite and their activity, their own presence on social? Well, um, I, you know, there's a reality that I see of social media and how it can be leveraged. There's another reality, which is that every company is different. Every company has different uh, strategies, has different brand guidelines, has different histories with social. So very few can leverage it to the extent that I talk about, unless they're a startup or they're very small and nimble, what have you. For executives, um, you know, there's a lot in social media. Go, oh, every executive needs to be on social media. I, I don't think that's necessarily the case, but I think if you're not a user, you don't really understand its potential. And I think that as executives in certain industries, uh, on certain social networks, like certainly LinkedIn, where we've seen an incredible preference for the individual content versus the brand content, that executives can be the ultimate ambassadors for their brand by leveraging and being by, by being more active on LinkedIn and publishing more content there can definitely benefit the company. So one of the, the companies that I am working for right now for my agency, 
uh, we're actually managing, it, it's a smaller company, we're actually managing not only their company page on LinkedIn, but the profile of their CEO. Um, and that's what's actually helping us cut through and, and get engagement, get visibility, and be able to contact people on a one-on-one -on -one basis that you can't do from a company page. So um, from that aspect, yes, I, I think it's it's important. Um, you know, on we could say the same thing about Twitter, um, where, and like I said, it also depends on the industry, but I think at the end of the day, we all should be um, investing in our own personal brand. And, um, you know, executives at companies, I don't know what the average time that they spend at a certain company is, but if it's less than a few years, uh, you know, there's no better way to invest in your personal brand than to actually have a presence in social media and to keep it somewhat active, uh, you know, according to your own branding. Mm -hmm. So I, um, you know, I understand some executives don't have the time. Uh, they might be afraid. Um, they don't think it's worthy of their attention. So only when I think in a business objective uh, you know, case scenario where it's like, no, this really is object. This really is important to achieving our business objective. Only then would I would I say, hey, you know, let us manage your your profile, what have you. If not, it comes down to personal branding. And if there's no interest there, then you know, stay away. But but like I said, without really becoming a user and having a use case scenario, it really is hard to understand the full potential benefits of leveraging social. So, uh, and at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to help manage your kids when they're on social either, yeah. which is another headache that a lot of executives probably have. So yeah. it's it's win-win to be able to do that, even if it's very minimal. So that's sort of how I talk to executives about mm. social. And I think now in the United States, maybe Europe is might be a little bit behind, but I think executives get it in, in most industries. Um, you know, 10 years ago, it was like hitting your head against the wall when you had these conversations. But I think it's very different now. All right, so you're writing this book on, on uh, influencer marketing. Uh, now, this is a term that's becoming more mainstream. How would you describe the state of the art in influencer marketing? I want to get back to afterwards on the process you're going through the writing. I'm really interested in that. But where, where are we today in influencer marketing? Or at least, you know, what's your line in, in your book and how are you trying to get people to be better at influencer marketing? We are very, very, very early where we have a lot of problems in the system. Uh, we have problems where companies looking for influencers will go to these, you know, quote unquote marketplaces. Uh, and in these marketplaces, they'll pick people based on following uh, or number of followers, uh, you know, vanity metrics, and they'll spend money and it might not be that effective. Um, and that's where, uh, and, and you know, there, there's problems with lack of access to information you know, data, is this data accurate? Um, after companies make that investment, how do they get access to the analytics of how each influencer performed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of uh, technical issues uh, related around, uh, around, you know, transparency and access to data. Um, and I think that going forward, these are going to be solved. We already see um, Facebook and Instagram already adding functionality that lets companies uh, basically manage the posts or see the analytics of the posts that influencers post on their behalf. So that's a, that's a very, very good start. So, you know, I see, I think a lot of companies and primarily consumer brands, hey, we need to sell to 20 year olds, let's, you know, let's send out handbags to, you know, Instagram influencers or, you know, spend a little money, get a few signed up. I, I see that with social becoming more and more pay to play, that influencer marketing is just a natural um, complement to that, that says, well, if we're gonna spend money in paid advertising anyway, 
Uh, wouldn't it be more authentic and more effective if instead of it's coming from us, if it's coming from other people? So I, I, I think it's looking at, okay, this is the community that we are trying to influence. Who are the major players in that community and how can we work together with them? This is the the approach that I am recommending that I'd like companies to take. And it's not always about money. Every influencer is a human being. They all have different needs, different objectives. They all have different business models. And it's not just consumer brands, B2B brands are getting very, very active in influencer marketing as well. I think starting about, you know, early last year of 2017. So uh, there there are, you know, I, I did a webinar recently, 15 different ways of leveraging influencers. Um, anything from content curation to creating a, a product together with them to a roundup blog post. I mean, there's, there's to affiliate marketing. So there's a lot of things out there that I would consider influencer marketing that are already mainstream, but there's a lot of other ways to be able to work with influencers. So it's just the reality that, your influence, a company's influence in social is always going to be limited to how much it spends, basically. So if you want to increase that influence into that community, um, this is a very, very attractive alternative way of building you know, an army of, of trustworthy brand advocates, basically, uh, that you can work with hopefully long term that provide uh, tremendous benefits, not just the immediate benefit, but the long term benefit of providing you input about the community that you want to influence about, even about your product, right? Um, that's where I see, you know, the movement going. So it's sort of like in the past, and you still have these these groups within PR about media relations. Well, this is a, a you know similar to media relations, but now we're talking about influencer relations or social community relations. I think that's probably a better um, description of where I see influencer marketing going. Where mm. with these relationships, there might be some paid things, there might be some organic things. There's definitely going to be a mix of things. Um, and that's sort of the, where I would like to see companies go. And I already see even big B2B brands have titles that say, you know, director of influencer relationships or director of influencer marketing. So we're definitely moving in that direction. But it's still only a few companies that have that. I, I think even, you know, every small business, really every business should um, should be adopting part of this concept uh, as part of their marketing. You mentioned it's not always about money, but you did say that the companies that are investing in influencer marketing means they have to allocate resources in order for this to work. And so there's a sort of a natural phenomenon, just like social's gone from free to pay to play. Uh, it does seem that it, it is about paying for influencer marketing and not just expecting free freebies all the time. Well, even if you do organic social media, you're investing in a resource and that costs money. So nothing is free for a business, right? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, for some companies, being able to send product to an influencer or provide them a 12-month free trial is is pain, but it's almost free because it's it's coming from something that had very little cost to them. Right. So there, there's definitely different ways of of looking at that. But at the end of the day, yes, whatever you do in social media, nothing is free. And if you want to try to you know um, really build up a large following on in, on any network organically. It requires a tremendous amount of time. Yeah. How would you how would you describe your success at getting to where you got to, Neil? Uh, well, you know, success is a very subjective word, but uh, I've That's been true. I've been doing this for a long time. I've, I think that being a content creator has definitely helped. Of uh, writing books, of blogging, of getting out there and speaking. Uh, whenever I talk to someone that wants to do more in social, I, I first start with well. Before you start thinking about optimizing your social presence, what does your content creation look like? Are you even contributing value to, to others? And that's really where it starts of, of contributing value to others um, that would be interested in you as a person or or your business or your products or services. So definitely, um, you know, 
the combination of those things I think has definitely helped. Uh, but doing it for a long time definitely helps, right? Because the longer you do it, it's sort of the snowball effect, uh, the tumbleweed effect. It just you will get bigger and bigger over time. Most people just stop, uh, and it's a shame because you know the, the longer you do it, the more consistent you are in doing it. Just the greater the chance that you are able to attract more and more people to to your voice and, and to your content. So, um, yeah, keep tweeting, uh, keep creating content. Uh, you know, stay true to your brand. Be be authentic. Engage with others when they engage with you. It's it's uh, I, I won't say it's a cheat sheet, but I do think that it's something that um, that can be replicated to some extent by by anyone. Well, the the, the add on I would have, Neil, is that why a lot of people stop is I think that they don't know why they're there in the first place, which translates into energetically being tired by doing it. And, oh, God, I've got to do another tweet. And I think that there's a this sort of... Actually, what I'm doing, a lot of people feel, is not contributing, or at least it's not making me wholer or better as a person, and therefore, inevitably, at some point, it trails off. I want to get back to one other thing, because time is short with us. You're using Publishizer for your book. So can yes. you tell us, uh, have you used it before? What's your experience on Publishizer and, and, and how does that work? So I'm really interested. I've never, never really gotten, it, gotten into it myself. So um, great question. So I have published three books. My first two books were self-published with a subsidiary of Amazon. My third book was published with a major publisher called Wiley, yep. who published the For Dummies books and a lot of college textbooks sure. and what have you. So, sure. <laughs> Excuse me. I've sort of seen both sides of the picture, and it. I, I realized, you know, the summer last year that I really, as as a speaker, I really need to have a book out there which showcases my latest thoughts, which gives people a reason to book me to speak. They can hear me talk about the book. So, as a speaker, I think it's important to frequently have new books available, and I just came to this realization last year. Um, so, I had ideas for a book. And I was trying to figure out the right way to go when I found out about Publishizer myself. And I believe it was actually someone from Publishizer who reached out to me. And I'm sort of a sucker. If someone reaches out to me for something that's interesting and relevant and I give it a look and it has some credibility and some social proof, I'll take the next step. So um, Publishizer basically is a crowdfunding platform. And I used it in all honesty to test market this idea for a book. So I have a book that I haven't written, but I have the ability through Publishizer to put up a book proposal and say, hey, this is the book that I plan on writing, hasn't been done yet. Would you be interested in buying it? And would you be interested as a publisher because publishers want to find authors in potentially publishing this book? So from that aspect, it's been wildly successful because I've been able to, to test market the idea. Um, and just even though I haven't written the book, I'm already getting tremendous publicity from it. And I'm already doing interviews like this where people are asking about influencer marketing, mm -hmm. even though I haven't written the book. And it's probably not going to be published until the end of the year, and I'm already able to promote it early on. So <clears throat> to me, um, it's a very, very exciting platform that I would recommend to anyone who's thinking about a book. Um, the, uh, the people there really get you uh, – they, they really give you a lot of help in, in writing that initial sort of proposal that will get your book up on the site. After that, what you realize as an author is 10% of your efforts in writing the book, 90% is about the promotion, unfortunately. And um, it's given me a chance to really to, to push people to that landing page on Publishizer. Here's the book. What do you think? Here's the book. I'd like to interview you. Um, here's the book. I'd like to speak at your event based on the topic of this book. So it's almost it's not as good as having a book out there. 
but it's almost as good because uh, it, it really gives you credibility where you might not have any because you haven't written the book yet and you get people to prepay. For me, the money is not in selling the book. I mean, that helps with sort of initial expenses. Sure. The money is obviously in your products and services that surround the book. Um, but it's also helped, uh, you know, publishers contact me, companies that offer different types of services to help authors have contacted me. I'm down to a short list of three different publishers and I plan to decide on that. Um, you know, I'm working on creating a, a sample chapter and updating my table of contents and synopsis. So hopefully by the end of the month, I'm going to have a publisher ready and, and an agreement signed and hopefully the manuscript, uh, you know, completed by the end of June for publication uh, by the end of the year. So um, Publishizer for me has just helped guide me into all these aspects and, and, and gotten it going. Um, so I, I, I highly recommend it. It's not a very well-known platform. It's the only platform of its kind. But when I was on it, I saw my good friend Nicholas Mir uh, who is a Swedish uh, chap who's a professor of marketing here in Orange County. I guess he's pretty well known in Sweden and other parts of Europe. He is self-publishing a book on publishers as well. For me, that was a social proof. When I went into the business books, I know that guy. If he chose it, I know it's good. And and I am a big fan of standing on the shoulders of giants in business. So uh, I, I won't say it's copying, but you know, if other companies have already done this hard work in investigating things and they decided to go for it, that should help reduce your time in, in investigating these things because you know others have already chosen it, right? Totally. Um, well, so yeah, so that's basically uh, the whole idea about Publishizer. And yeah, if anyone is thinking about writing a book, um, I would say go to Publishizer, check it out. I'd also say, you know, w what do you plan to sell from the book? Is it just like with social media? Do you have an objective for the book, right? Um, if you want to sell a product or a service, then the book should be tightly intertwined around that product and service. Um, what are the 12 main ideas that you want to talk about in the book? And each of those 12 ideas becomes a 4,000 word chapter and there you have a 50,000 word book. Hmm. Uh, each each of the each point you want to make, you have three bullet points within that point. Hmm. Those are each 1,000 words. You have a summary conclusion, another 1,000. And, and right there, if you can sort of get the 12 main points and three sub points within each main point, you basically have the book. Then you just need to flesh out the content. Mm. Um, so, and you can blog it, you can podcast it. That's that's my process. And yeah. I like to think very rationally. And, and I think once you see it that way, um, yes, it's a lot of content. But if you start blocking out days in your calendar or, or half days in your calendar, you can get it done. It's, it sounds like a good process. Well, I'll be sure to put the show notes, uh, all the links to that in your page, of course. So, Neil, um, in the last minutes that we have left, trust is an important component. How How do you go about helping an organization to build that trust, you know, with, for example, with influencers, but in general. I believe that true trust cannot be gained directly from the company. It has to be gained from people because we've seen all these, you know, Edelman trust barometers, what have you. People trust people the most, right? And, and they're people just like us. So when companies go on a PR initiative or TV ads, um, I, I think, you know, today a lot of people can see through that. And it, I don't think that that necessarily will increase the trust in the same way it could have 30, 40 years ago when um, that's all we knew, right? So, you know, I believe it is in having other people say good things about your company that is the greatest way to improve your trust. I think it begins with your customers. Are your customers saying good things about you? It begins with your employees. What is your net promoter score? You know, what have you. And, and that's really, this is, these are things where, like I said, social replaces nothing, complements everything. This, this is a conversation that happens before social media, right? If your customers don't trust you, they're, they're not loyal. Um, if your customer service can't help customers, 
for whatever reason, if it's a product reason, if it's a person reason, and if your employees won't recommend other people to work at your company and they don't stay at your company a long time, you have problems that social media is not going to fix. So you need to begin in-house with your own company. And these are things that companies should have been doing all the time. I think um, with um, just with the way that information is so sharely, uh, is so freely shared and spread that what customers think about your product is ever more important. I mean, whether it's a restaurant in Yelp or uh, there's just, a, you know, for every industry, there seems to be a, re a review site or a blogger, you know, doing reviews on these things. So how do you get people involved? So employee advocacy is definitely one, and that begins with internal communications. Um, you know, customer experience is going to be the other. That's why customer experience marketing is so uh, exciting and really doing a reset on how we look at that whole customer journey, right? Um, and then you have these, you know, all these other people on social media that are part of your your extended community that, that aren't customers yet. <clears throat> They're not employees yet, you know, what have you, yet you still want to influence them. That's where I think you start working with influencers. So um, there is a Chinese airline that recently did an influencer marketing campaign that was basically a PR campaign that basically said, look, we are one of the oldest airlines in China. You may not have heard of us, but we were the first one to work together with the United Nations uh, on, on um, sustainability development. And uh, these are the things that we do as a company that are important to us. So you may not fly to China, but if you fly to Asia, you can fly through us and we want you to know about this. And they worked with you know, primarily Instagram influencers from a wide variety of industries uh, to get that message out. And these people were the messengers and they gave, they sent the message out visually um, and, um, you know, through text and what have you. And, and, you know, from the airline's perspective, it was very, very successful. And I think, I think these are things, let people tell your message. The days of communicating top down and, you know, we are about this company. I think we all know, we all should have known that we, companies do not control their brand. People have always controlled the perception of brands. And it's living with that reality of trying to leverage the people out there to obviously talk about your company in a positive way. And if working with some influencers is a great way to do that, then by all means, you should go ahead and, and, and do that as part of your arsenal. Um, not just think of that top-down approach of, of you know, a, a PR, you know, put a TV ad. One-way control. Um, yeah. So, Neil. You, and, that's, and that's where, you know, the executives, I think, come into play. So, if, you know, if it comes from a brand page, on the other hand, if it comes from the CEO of a company – uh, in a in a personal um, way with, with empathy, right? And I think that's the problem we have with Zuckerberg is we don't feel any empathy toward him when we see him. He, he just seems like a rich, smart guy. Um, ideally, executives representing the company will be able to generate some sort of empathy as the human representatives of that company. Hmm. Um, and th this is the ideal situation. And that's where they, I believe, can also be used. That They're probably the best that you have if they are the right people that can sort of get that empathy from people. But at the end of the day, I think that's where, you know, influencers and leveraging the people around you is going to be the best bet to build trust. It's obviously not an easy thing to do. It's a long-term project, but I think companies that are investing in employee advocacy, internal communications, customer experience marketing, and, you know, working, trying to build this community of influencers and working with them in a variety of ways, not just sending out discount codes, but for PR initiatives as well, uh, I think those are the companies that are really going to resonate with with future generations and and business will uh, will will benefit from that trust. Just like you said before, it's um, building relationships, and these aren't sort of one night stands. The, this takes a, a while, and it takes meeting in flesh. It it's a mixture. Neil, I promised to let you go uh, on time. So, what's the best way for people to track you down, follow what you're up to, and of course, I'll be sending the links out after this. 
Well, I have, I've tried to be Neil Schaefer wherever there's a social network, and it's all spelled the same, N-E-A-L-S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R. Uh, I tried to uh, create different brands for my personal brand, and I realized two years ago, you know what, my, the best personal brand you can have is your name. So neilschaefer.com is where you'll find my website, and then Neil Schaefer, I'm even on Snapchat, I don't always read your snaps, but uh, you'll find Neil Schaefer there as well, so... Yeah, wherever I'm even on Zing, although I'm not active. Hmm. Um, so yeah, wherever you are, I am, and I hope that um, you can send me your thoughts about what I've talked about, and we can continue the conversation because this is a reality in which there's no one right or wrong answer. These hmm. are my perspectives, my opinions, and they're going to change uh, as the market evolves and as I hear more about the experiences of others. And that's why I, I'm truly open to any conversation because it helps me better understand. Uh, the, the market and then therefore I can better serve my customers and my community better when I create content. Love it. Neil, thanks for coming on the show. Have a wonderful day and be in touch. Yes, thank you, sir. I'm sorry we had to cut this short, but it's all hopefully good. This is, uh, I'm a fast talker, so hopefully we got enough information out to... I'm sure we did. Thanks, Neil. <laughs> all, right. all right, thank you, sir. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on minterdial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Josh Sachs's finger paint. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way To rid me of the gray And heal That you mentioned in your lack of self security. Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form as long as you would feel warm, wrapped in canvas. Hold me tightly, slowly we would paint a lover's portrait with all your favorite shades.
Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that asks you what you want to be when you grow up so you can graduate into retirement with a purpose and a passion, whether you're 25, 85, or any age in between. Gain actionable financial and mindset tips from your favorite authors, podcasters, and influencers to help you reach that exciting next chapter. Listen now and start building your path to financial freedom and reframing what retirement can mean to you. This is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate.